Our guest this morning needs no introduction. Uh, Brent has been here often at Applewood over the years. Uh, he is the director of church health, church vitality uh, for the Midwest Conference of the Evangelical Covenant Church. <clears throat> and uh, usually I, I would just hand the mic to him and say, Brent, folks know you, introduce yourself. But I just wanted to say in front of the congregation what a dear friend this man has been to me. And in many ways, unintentional in the relationship, but he has mentored and has encouraged me in some really significant ways over these years. And so I, I thank God for you and am grateful for the ministry that he has called you to in the Midwest Conference uh, because we get to be a recipient of that ministry. I'm excited for Brent to be with us this morning. The material that he is bringing really ties back into that larger picture that we talked about for a few Sundays of being people who live generously, living sacrifices, living generously. And this is some material that I know he is excited about, some, some new things that he has been uh, sharing in and participating with, learning through the conference. So, brother, we're glad that you're here, and I uh, look forward to hearing from you this morning. Thank you, Guy. Thank you. That means a lot to me because I consider this pastor, you know, as a parent and as a grandparent, you're never supposed to have favorite kids or favorite grandkids in this role. You're never supposed to have favorite pastors, but Applewood and Guy would be one of my favorites. Um, I have, I have, well, I've, I've called him a cheerleader before, but I mean that in the best sense of the word. He is a Barnabas, an encourager. You all know that. And the times I've been able to be with you uh, have been very special to me as well. And it's special for me to be with all of you. And, and, and really special around this subject, you may wonder about that as I get into it, because I'm going to go after it pretty hard, but I'm excited about it. it it's been a, a, an important part of my faith walk, and the more we're working with churches and seeing what's going on in our broader culture, we just believe this is a very important thing to be talking about. I know you've already been talking about it in a, in a recent series. But, uh, oh, I don't know, here a month or so ago, several of your financial-type people were at a workshop that we were a part of, and uh, they said, hey, we'd like you to come and share some of that with the church. And uh, so Guy invited me. If you like what I have to say, thank them. If you don't, I'll be leaving, and that's all good. (laughs) So (laughs) it won't be a problem. But uh, let's pray as we prepare to turn to God's Word. Lord, you are so good, and we do trust you more than I trust ourselves, so we just ask you to have your way with us by your word and your spirit, and for the glory of Jesus we pray, amen. Let me share a quote with you to get started. This is from Howard Dayton in a book that he wrote some time ago, maybe 25 years ago. The Bible offers 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 on faith, but more than 2,350 on money, wealth, and possessions. When I first read that, I was stunned, frankly, just stunned. And I've since read it many other times. And it just caused me to say, what's going on here? What, why? Um, is money, wealth, and possessions more important than prayer? Wow, I mean, prayer is our communion with God. Is it more important than faith? 
you know, I'm not sure how to respond to that. Did, did, did Jesus and the scriptures talk about money, wealth, and possessions so much that now Guy and, and I and other preachers, we don't need to talk about it as much because it's already been said? You know, is that it? Here, here's the conclusion I've come to. I really believe that money, wealth, and possessions are one of the primary competitors for the Lordship of Christ in our lives. And that was true way back then. How much more true is it today where we are bombarded daily, bombarded by messages that take us in a different direction? So it is something that we really want to spend some time with and we want to explore and we want to take seriously because um, we are concerned that because we're swimming upstream in a culture that takes us in some different directions, that, that this is a really difficult issue. And in fact, if we were to be honest about these dollar bills that we pull out and use that say, in God we trust, they probably need to say, in greed we trust. That really does drive the market. I'm a former marketing guy. I'm a former banker. I, I, I've spent some time in this water. I think I get it a little bit. Uh, and I think you get it too, because we're all consumers and we're all bombarded by this. And if you look at the amount of time we spend acquiring money, we spend uh, investing money, we spend uh, you know, saving money, just look at, it's a big issue. It's a big issue and we need to take it seriously. Really, by almost any measure, um, our prosperity has increased over the last couple of generations. Sure, there's been some blips. But we are a wealthy, wealthy people. Uh, in fact, this bloated state of affairs was chronicled in a PBS uh, show back in 1997. The, the name of the show was Affluenza. Anyone see that show? Affluenza. Fascinating show that just looked at how we've been consumed with excessive materialism and debt and just frenetic lifestyles kind of compared across generations, the accumulation of stuff, the size of houses, the number of garages, all that kind of stuff. This condition became so pervasive, and I think is still so pervasive, that in 2014 there was a a case, a very tragic case, where a teen became very inebriated, got in a car, and this happened in Texas. He killed four people and injured nine others. The defense attorney brought to the courtroom a psychologist. And the defense that the psychologist used was affluenza. He said, this poor boy couldn't help himself. He has been so infected by this disease of affluenza, he couldn't help himself. That's the world we live in. Now, if you're like me, your spiritual gift of rationalization is kicking in about now, and you're going, well, I'm not that kid. I'm not the father of that kid. I'm not the grandparent of that kid. And we're not. But we are rich. We are a rich, rich people. Guess uh, what your household income needs to be in order to be in the top 1% globally. This is a global number. But to be in that top 1% of wage earners, what do you think that wage might be? Well, according to a website, $32,400. They track this. (laughs) $32,400. We've made it! Score! 
Listen, I don't know how accurate that is, but I do think it points to the truth that we are the richest people ever to live on planet Earth. We are amazingly blessed in a material sense. And sadly, our generosity has not kept pace. I was just at another workshop this week for four days in Chicago looking at this issue, and they again shared statistics on generosity tracing back over about the last 30 years. And it, every survey I've ever seen suggests this. It runs in about a 2 to 3% annual uh, household income. 2, two to 3% of household income is given to uh, charitable causes, including Christianity, the church. So our prosperity's increased, our giving has stayed really pretty paltry, and we've got an issue. We have a greed problem. As hard as that is to confront, it's reality. And Jesus understood that. Remember one of those fun parables he had? He says, it's harder for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to get into heaven. To which the disciples said, oh my goodness, Jesus, it's impossible then. How could this, how can anyone get into heaven? And he says, you're right, it is impossible with people. It's all a gift of grace from a very generous and giving God. So this is all about grace. It's not about legalism and chinning up to a bar, but it is something we really want to take seriously and acknowledge what's going on, and particularly the impact that this whole issue has around our discipleship, our becoming mature in Jesus Christ, because money has a gravitational pull. The more you have, your knuckles get whiter and whiter as you hold on to it. Because a, another statistic would suggest that, you know, even though people say, well, you know, if I get more money, then I'll be able to give more money. That's not true. The, more, the higher your income, statistically at least, the lower the percentage of giving. So we've got an issue here. Giving does not get easier. It gets harder as we accumulate more. Fortunately, God has a solution. I choose to call it greedom, freedom from greed through giving. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit. We're going to spend some time in a very specific passage around this, 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19. The words will be on the screen, or you can certainly open your own Bible or on your phone, as I tend to use more and more these days. But this is an important passage that I, helps, I think helps us to unlock this a little bit and think about what God really has for us, which is so much better than the trinkets of this world. So let's, uh, let's listen. This is the word of the Lord. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to serve. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Okay, let's, let's, let's take some slices at this and see what Paul's trying to say. First of all, it's interesting that he kind of uses a play on words on this word rich. Let's look at that first of all. He says, command those who are rich, that's us, we're the rich ones, in a material sense, not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, riches, in other words, worldly riches, but he goes on then and contrasts it, contrasts it with uh, God's richness. He says, to put their hope in God who richly provides for us everything for our enjoyment, which includes material blessing, absolutely, but much more so spiritual blessing. Verse 18, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds. So he's using a contrast here to say, well, there's different ways to be rich. If we let it be defined only by the world, it's going to be the balance sheet. It's going to be stuff. 
But if we allow God to define it, it has something to do with generosity and trusting God in a powerful way to enjoy a very different life. And so let's look at it in, in another way. Check again, verse 17. There's a logical flow in his argument. He says, first of all, that we should not be arrogant, or uh, not be arrogant, but instead put our hope in God. And then in verse 18 goes on and says, command them to do good and to be generous and willing to share. So, I mean, it's, it's a real clear, straightforward argument in these passages. He's saying, first of all, be humble and trust God. In other words, God's the owner of all this stuff. Humility is simply acknowledging who God is and who we are and what that relationship looks like. So God already owns all this stuff. Let's just be humble about that and trust him. He provides everything we need. And so in response to that, then, the, the next two bullets, the last two bullets, do good and be generous. It's our grateful response to this lavish God. Well, we respond by being generous, by doing good. That, that's it. I mean, if, if you get it at this point, you can go ahead and leave. You're in good shape. But I don't get it. I mean, I look at my life, and there's still huge tension. And when I preach a message like this, I mean, the hypocrisy meter, it's in the red zone. You know? Because this is hard stuff. The statistics don't lie. We really struggle in this. I think a lot of it because of our sin nature, of course. But a lot of it, we live in an incredibly toxic culture for this kind of a message, for this kind of economic truth, God's kingdom economy. But if you get it, if this makes sense, if in practical terms you're trusting God as, as the provider and sustainer of all things, if you're living simply and holding things loosely, if you're being very intentional, live gener generously with time, treasure, and talents, uh, if you're giving lavishly, understanding the tithe is, is simply a starting line, not a finish line, we just want to give, 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 and enjoy that, and we do that as first fruits, not begrudgingly at the end if we've got some left over. If you're doing all that stuff, you're in good shape. But again, we're not. I think we need more punch than that. And I think Paul gives us some punch right here in this passage. So I want to go back and look at it one more time. Because as I look at it, I do think some of what Paul does here is to reveal kind of the upside-down nature of kingdom economics. We're, we're taught that we should live well, get our life in order, and be healthy there, and then we'll be able to give. That, that makes sense. It's intuitively smart, and it's even taught. But I don't think that's what Scripture says. I think Scripture says, no, you give to live. You don't live to give. You give to live. You start with this thing of understanding the nature of God as a generous God, and so we're to be a generous people. And as we do that, then we truly live an amazing life. Let's look at Paul's passage, these verses again that Paul gives to us, and see how he makes the point. He says in verse 17, it's God who richly provides. That's the starting point. God who richly provides. In verse 18, so we should be generous and willing to share. So we reflect that generosity. Starting with the generosity of God, reflected in us as a generous people, and then at the end of it he says, then you'll take hold of the life that is truly life. We sang about that in some of the songs this morning. Great stuff. I always love worshiping here, by the way. You guys do such a fun job. Um, but even in the words this morning, it was reflecting this understanding that God is the one who, at the, you know, he's the initiator of generosity. It's all from him, and we need to start there as generous people, 
And then that allows us to truly enjoy a very different life than the world can provide. Because we all know that the stuff of this world doesn't satisfy. As the song said, only Jesus is enough. I mean, I still wrestle with that. I think, oh, if I can just get a newer car, I'll be happier. Or if I could just replace, you know, that shirt, that's, I'll be happier. Or if I get a new pair of shoes, that, uh, no, they all wear out, they rust, they get wrecked, all of it. There's only one thing that satisfies, and that's a deepening walk with Jesus. So the sequence that Paul is emphasizing is give to live, not live to give. We need to get this straight. It's a huge change from the way we think. It's a huge change from the way we've been taught, I think, in many, in many cases. I've had so many conversations with people around this, and they're, in, they're well-intentioned. You know, if I, if I could just get my, the, the, the debts paid off, we had to send our kids, to, if I get, then we'll be able to give. If I could just get the braces paid for for the kids, man, that was expensive, then we'll be able to give. I've heard people that have a high capacity for earning. I mean, we all know a lot of people. God's not against rich people. Don't hear me say that. He's against the love of money, the pursuit of that. But I've heard people that have a high capacity to give say, I'm going to make millions so that I can give. In other words, give to live. Uh, live to give. I'm sorry, I got it backwards. But, but they're getting it backwards, and we get it backwards. Because Scripture over and over says, no, God's economy is very different. Consider Deuteronomy 18.4. God says, give first fruits. You give first. And that's echoed throughout other passages. Uh, the prophet Malachi says, trust God and see if he won't pour out abundant blessing. Malachi 3.10. It's one of the only passages that I'm aware of that says, test me in this. Test me in this. See if it's not right. Uh, the apostle Paul, as he's writing to the church, says in 1 Corinthians 16.2, he says, set your gift aside in advance. Set it aside in advance. Give first in order to live. And I, I do grieve over some of the teaching that is called biblical. Teaching that I've done, I, I've used. I mean, one of them that I've even called him and argued with him about it is Dave Ramsey. I love Dave Ramsey in terms of his capacity for helping people get out of debt. He's really good at that. I think he helps people budget. Really good at that. I think he's a marvelous communicator. But if you look at his sequence, it's get your house in order so that you can give over here. I mean, his, his mantra is even live like no one else so that you can live like no one else. And it borders on hoarding, which is not biblical. Now, someone's going to come up with after the sermon and argue with me that, and I want to hear from you, because every time I, I, I preach this, I do get to have that conversation. Uh, and, and frankly, um, I would continue to use Dave Ramsey in the local church. He's very helpful. But what I would suggest is that you make sure and package it properly, because it's not all gospel truth. There's some contextual, cultural influence stuff going on in there, and he's not the only one. He's not the only one. We need to get the sequence right if we really want to move deeper into what God has for us because the biblical approach is give to live, not live to give. So there's a personal challenge in all of this. For all of us, we do need to budget. Budgeting is a good thing. Going before the Lord and prayerfully saying, what's the right quality of life for us to live? You know, 
there is a, a standard of living that's appropriate for Golden, Colorado, for living in the greater Denver metro area. There, there's just realities around that. You can't drive an old beater car. You've got to drive one that's dependable. You know, you've got to wear warm clothes. You can't, there's just all these realities. You've got to live in a, in a suburban context, probably. I don't know. Um, so there's those realities. But we quickly translate our wants into needs, and we get that backwards. So we need to prayerfully go before the Lord and say, what's the right budget, Lord? What is it? What does it look like? And in that budget, at the top of the list should be giving. We should sit down, if we're a married couple or if we're an individual, we need to just prayerfully say, what, what, what does it look like for us? What do we feel good about? And make that the first budget priority. And then strive to increase that over time. And, and, and really encourage you to consider percentage-based giving. The tithe, of course, is 10% of your gross income every year. Um, and I think that's a, a good, if you're not there yet, that's a good thing to strive for. If you are there, that's a good starting point to launch from. But, but percentage-based says is, is if my income goes up, giving goes up. If it goes down, giving goes down. That's a good way to do it, good proportional giving. And if you'll breathe into those, if you'll live into those, I would say enjoy the ride. Listen, the happiest people I know on planet Earth are generous people. It doesn't matter what their income is. I've met very impoverished people that are so lavishly generous that have an amazing joy. And I've met very wealthy people who have high capacity for giving, and they do. They're very generous, and they're just so joyful. And Scripture supports that. Be a cheerful giver. Become excellent in giving. This is an amazing area of discipleship that we can all grow into, and it's fun. Uh, I also think there's a church challenge for us, and that's what we're trying to live into as the Midwest Conference and as the Evangelical Covenant Church, and you guys are living into it here at Applewood. We're going to have a little workshop after uh, this is over. If you're able to stay, great. But we really are going to invite you to drill down on 10 very basic questions as a church to say, well, how can we nurture a more intentional culture of generosity. If this is really important, what can we do? Because as much as Guy and I would love to believe we can preach a sermon and everybody changes, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. What does work is an intentionality over time to say there's a lot of things we need to do, if indeed it's important, so that we could see more generosity and meeting people where they are, because we're all at different places. As I said, this has been a big part of my faith journey as a pre-Christian, as a baby Christian, and as a maturing Christian, just watching the way the Lord has used this to take me from kind of a, you know, a, an occasional giver to a percentage giver to a tither to one who's trying to you know, move beyond that. And you're all at different places too. And so as we think about establishing kind of a plan of generosity, it's just being real intentional about things like saying, well, how do we celebrate the offering? What do we do with that? There's a lot of ways to do that. Uh, in this new wired world, how do we give people giving options? Because it's not just putting money in the plate. There's a lot of other ways to give money these days. And just so thinking through a lot of those kinds of questions. So I would encourage you, if you're able to be a part of that, please join us. If you're not, in the bulletin, there's little, some sermon reflections that you can just take with you and, and, and spend some time on your own with that. But let me share kind of a, a, a closing quote from a book, uh, Five Practices of Fruitful Congregations. I've used this one many times. I love it. 
Churches that practice extravagant generosity don't talk in general terms about stewardship. They speak confidently and faithfully about money, giving, generosity, and the difference giving makes for the purposes of Christ in the life of the giver. They emphasize the Christians need to give more than the church's need for money. I really believe that. I think the church needs money. You need a new parking lot. I know you've been talking about that for a few years, right? You need a new parking lot. You need money. Yeah, we all, need, all churches need money. All kingdom ministries need money. We're not denying that. But I need to give a lot more than the church needs my money. You need to give a lot more than the church needs your money. This is an issue of discipleship. It's an issue of the heart, absolutely. So take that to heart. Pray into that. See what God might do with that in your own life. Test it for 30, 60 days. Give it a try. Try some new practices in your own life. And just see what God might do with that. Because, again, I'm confident you will discover the life that is truly life. Amen? Let's pray. Father, your word is true. Your spirit is so skillful, taking that word and using it as a sword to to divide, sharper than that two-edged sword even. And so, Lord, we really need you to do your work. We've just dipped into this. We've spent some time. But... Please take this in each individual and in Applewood and in the Evangelical Covenant Church and show us what it looks like, Lord. Show us how to grow in this grace of generosity that we might truly become more and more like you and more and more united with you in this lavish gospel that you've given us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.